Welcome to Fear Frequency, everybody, a weekly horror podcast where two best friends round up the horror news worth caring about and review a movie or two. This week on the show, we're a day late, and that's because I had to go to a Deadpool screening, but it's also uh, because we have a special guest, Jonathan Barkin from, or no wait, Jonathan Barkan, that's how you say it. Barkan, yes. I've met you in real life. It's Jonathan Barkan. Uh, he's here from Dread Central. Uh, he's our, Hello. You're our first full episode guest. We've had guests I, come in I, later. I mean, I'm honored. I also think that you've made a grave mistake <laughs> and you could have done much better. <laughs> well, I wanted to start from the bottom and, you know, work my way up. <laughs> I mean, that's that's accurate. So We don't want to peak too early. Yeah, you know? right, exactly. No, no, I'm just kidding. So We're off to uh, a great start here. This is amazing. Jonathan and I, we met when I was making videos for Bloody Disgusting, but we really met on the set visit for The Nun last summer when we were both in Romania. And then now you're at mm-hmm. Dread Central. So can you just walk us through really quick? What do you do at Dread Central? What's your day-to-day? I mean, I'm the managing editor, so my day-to-day is quite massive. It's uh, I look over our daily Google Analytics I'm in charge of a lot of our social media interaction. I also write posts. I look at all of the posts of contributors and do copy editing, kind of check the voicing, check the tone, check the formatting. Um, I schedule everything. I host weekly content calls with many of the writers that I then disseminate to everyone else who couldn't make it. Uh, I'm constantly emailing to various PR companies, studios, outlets to talk about coverage exclusives set up interviews and i'm also part of the dread central presents team oh i didn't so know I'm you were part of that coordinate team. what they're doing cool yep i definitely help a little bit with uh, the dread central Presents side of dread central and epic pictures yeah well you guys just released uh terrifier a couple months ago it seems like yep uh buzz was good on it everyone really liked it yeah that one that one did incredibly well uh people are still talking about it uh now we have the DVDs and Blu-ray. The DVD Blu-ray combo is up for sale. Shameless mm-hmm. plug. Um, and <laughs> yeah, we also just released. Uh, we also just released in theaters director's cut, directed by Adam Rifkin and starring Missy Pyle and Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller. Whoa! No way. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's actually written by Penn, and it's really weird. Like if you, the description of the film is pretty close to impossible because. All right, I'm gonna try this. Okay. Hear me out. So the movie as a whole was crowdfunded. So let's get that out of the way. This movie was a crowdfunded film. Now, that being said, in the film, Penn plays a guy named Herbert Blount, who was a pledger on a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign (laughs) for Adam Rifkin to make a movie that stars Missy Pyle as themselves... (laughs) <laughs> uh, and he somehow finds the cloud password to all of the movie files. So Penn steals the files and he kidnaps Missy and he's trying to make his own version of the movie because he thinks that he can do it better than the director. That sounds awesome. I think I it's, will have to watch this movie. <laughs> it's batshit crazy. So it was just in theaters. It's actually coming to VOD the end of this month, and it's going to be hitting Blu-ray and DVD combo the beginning of next month. So people do not have to wait that long if they want to see it for themselves. Yeah, and where can people get Terrifier if they want to look that one up? Uh, just go to epicpictures.com uh, or just, you know, you, I'm sure you can Google Terrifier mm-hmm. Blu-ray DVD combo uh, and it will definitely bring it up. I will warn everyone that Terrifier is a throwback to 80s slashers and it is incredibly gory. Yeah, there, there is, there's a scene uh, with a, yep. that involves a saw that 
I was yep. I was very impressed with. <laughs> yeah, that's. I saw that movie at the Telluride Horror Show in 2016, and the entire theater was squirming, screaming, shouting, yelling, averting their gaze, yeah. cheering. It's everything that you could want from a horror movie experience in theaters. Uh, it will never leave your memory. Yeah, seriously. Like, that scene, you know, there's tons of movies where you hear coming out of festivals, like, oh, people walked out because of this. That's a scene where if... Like, there was an article about someone walking out of a theater because of that scene. I would believe it, and then I would watch the scene and not be disappointed. Because you're usually disappointed yeah. when that happens. You're like, that's it? Like, with Raw or whatever? That one, that, that mm-hmm. scene was really... That scene was... It's awesome, but it's really dark. I, I like that movie. It was good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's basic. That's a very, very, very basic uh, summary of what I do at Dread Central. Awesome. So... I mean, I was going to say uh, people should go check it out, but I feel like all of our res- listeners have heard of Dread Central before. So well, <laughs> continue if, to if read it. If you want to check us out, yes, please. <laughs> keep coming, keep reading, keep sharing. We're very, very proud of the writers and contributors that we have on the site. We're putting out what I feel to be really amazing content that spurs discussion and not only uh, kind of builds up the horror genre, but also challenges it. So if you're looking for a place where you want your ideas and conceptions to be challenged, then I think we're a good place for that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I I agree with that. Uh, So before we get into the news this week, I have a field report. So I usually send George on field reports to crazy things like uh, the haunting on Dice Road stuff. But this week, uh, my friend from YouTube, Matt Brando, he lives in Ohio, but he was in town uh, for this... 25th anniversary celebration at Universal Studios Hollywood for Jurassic Park because that movie is turning 25. And okay, see, you say that, and I immediately feel old because uh-huh. I saw that in theaters when. Okay, I so out. I was born in 1993, so I age with Jurassic Jeez. Park, and I felt I felt old <laughs> when they did the 3D 20th anniversary screening. I was like, dang, like really? So. Dude, if you if you really want to feel old, get ready to for this. Uh, the second decade of the twenty first century is coming to a close. No, <laughs> George, how do you feel about that? Not great. <laughs> about to hit that big two five in July. Oh yeah, you're still twenty four. You're still a baby. Jeez, yeah. you got, I'm I'm about to turn thirty four. What is this, <laughs> you whippersnappers? <laughs> so since Jurassic Park is turning twenty five. Universal, I, I was not expecting this. So Matt texted me and was like, hey, uh, Universal is doing like a 25th anniversary thing where you get to watch Jurassic Park and stay in the park, uh, stay into Universal Studios late and ride the ride at night. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. So it ended up being so much cooler than I thought it was going to be. So I get there and then the screening turned out to be an IMAX screening of the first Jurassic Park, which seeing that movie on the big screen in 3D was cool. Seeing that movie in IMAX was life-changing for me because... Jonathan, you might not know this, but Jurassic Park is like my favorite movie. It's the first movie I ever saw in my whole life, and it's still I love Jurassic. It. Getting Jurassic Park on VHS is still my favorite Hanukkah gift that I've ever received. Because the VHS was sweet. <laughs> like, it was awesome. It was just that black slip cover and everything. Oh, I loved it with the red logo yeah. and the silhouette of the T Rex yep. skeleton. Oh yeah, it was it was incredible. Like I was obsessed with watching that movie. I read the book multiple multiple uh-huh. times. The same thing with the Lost World. Like I love that movie. So, but I need to ask you. At this event, yeah, uh, and in this experience, how much, if any, 
uh, exposure to Jeff Goldblum did you get? I'll, I'll get to that. So that's that's later on. Don't worry. That's <laughs> all right. Because he's I'm, my, he's my favorite the, part. So this this podcast, this podcast of your frequency, I bought a ticket for the whole seat, but apparently I only need the edge. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so right before the screening starts, uh, this guy comes out with a mic, and I look up, I'm like, shit, is that Colin Trevorrow? And it was. It was Colin Trevorrow. He comes out, he's like, hey, it's me. I'm watching the movie in another theater, but... Uh, I brought the first 10 minutes of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom to show it. So it was, it's the footage, George, we talked about this a week ago. It was at CinemaCon. They showed it. It's the intro uh-huh. to the movie. And so I have been consistently disappointed with the intros to Jurassic Park movies since the first one. But this one like blew me away. Because I, I was kind of getting nervous for Fallen Kingdom because, you know, Trevorrow's had some, you know, he has ego problems from what I hear. And he, Book of Henry is pretty bad. And he got fired from Star Wars 9. So I feel like those moments humbled him, even though he's not directing this movie. But what they brought was so cool. Uh, it starts It starts out with them going back into Jurassic World, which at the end of the first movie, spoilers, is destroyed, basically. And the animals are left there to roam free. But uh, they go in to get the bone of the Indominus Rex underwater. It was just, it's, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it was really cool. It's great. Got to watch the movie. That was awesome. Then uh, after that... Uh, we go into the park we had a couple hours to ride rides but then at seven they had a panel hosted by trevorrow but he brought up jeff goldblum which was unreal and he he jeff goldblum (laughs) is so great my heart i I think he was drunk for the entire thing which made it better because there were there were more uhs and you knows than usual it's jeff goldblum at his age and with his imdb kind of cast list he can do whatever the fuck he wants when he is like by the way can i swear on yeah here? totally yeah we, yeah we got the explicit okay, badge for that reason <laughs> all right good just making sure so so jeff goldblum gets up on stage and that dude he's like pointing out girls in the crowd and like doing the little finger wave at them and like winking at girls it was so funny and uh he they told some really great stories about being on set and uh he came in the full costume that he wears in Fallen Kingdom in the trailer. So he came dressed as Ian Malcolm, which was unreal. And then yes. uh, they brought up Gareth Edwards and Jordan Voight Roberts, which they didn't have much to add to the Jurassic World conversation or Jurassic Park conversation, but it was just cool to see that many like you know, talented people on one stage. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. It was a really cool event. I'm glad they put it on and really showed respect to Jurassic park well let me let me ask you now so that opening sequence that you saw does it give you faith for the rest of fallen kingdom if they can keep up uh the tone and the pace that they set that first 10 minutes and even the humor just the whole mood of that if they can keep that up through the entire movie it's going to be a great movie it was it was so good there's some funny moments the cgi was great uh it's it's not it's scary like this movie is Definitely going for a monster movie tone, more so than Jurassic World did. And they're making the dinosaurs terrifying again, which is really cool. Good, because I will never forget, sitting in the theater, a just impressionable young lad of eight years old, and the T-Rex breaks out of his paddock. Yeah. And then he roars in the, you know, rain-swept night, and my fingers clasped the armrests of my theater seat so tight and I sunk in with my eyes getting wider than ever before and that to me still is one of the most 
memorable theater experiences I've ever had simply for how it affected me, not for like a, a communal experience. Yeah, totally. It's 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 pretty scary. Even seeing it in IMAX again was just it was it's scary because those dinosaurs in that movie they don't feel they feel like real animals. They don't feel mm-hmm. fake when you watch it still. And blown up that big, I noticed like a few technical errors that I haven't noticed before, but still that movie holds up. It's it's as close to perfect as I think a action sci-fi movie can really get. Like there's very few things wrong with that entire movie start to finish and getting to see it in the theater was just so cool. Awesome. Yeah, I well, feel like that's kind of a testament to like the practical effects. Mhm. Heavy Oh yeah. Handedness of that in the original movie where they wanted everything to look as real and natural as possible and that kind of adds to why it was able to age so gracefully since 93. Yeah, they talked about how during the panel they talked about how for this movie they had they built I I always knew they built a giant like a life the T-Rex in the movie is the size of the T-Rex puppet they built for this movie. But I didn't know I thought they did that so they could just scan it into the computer and animate it, but they actually had it connected to a smaller model that had one-to-one movement with the T-Rex puppet. Huh. So a lot of the movements you see in the movie are this giant life-size T-Rex that they built actually animating, like, doing its thing, which was really cool. Huh. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's amazing what they do with practical effects in that film. Yeah, it's It's insane. astonishing. So that was that was just a really cool event. It was a lot of fun. But I think we're being interrupted by a scream. It sounds exactly like the scream from the end of Halloween 6. Do you guys hear that? No. Could it be? Is it Dr. Loomis? <laughs> I think it is. So. Yeah. All the way from Haddonfield, Illinois. <laughs> I'm glad that you can hear it too, Jonathan. I thought we were going crazy over here. but uh, <laughs> I mean, then we're all going down this whirlpool together. <laughs> we have a Halloween alert, you guys. It's a very small one. Uh, so a couple months or a month back... It was announced that there was a test screening of Halloween, and the rumor was that it did not go very well, but it actually came out that one person left unsatisfied. But because of that screening and that reaction, I guess, David Gordon Green went back and is tweaking the ending just a little bit. They're doing a couple reshoots, but I don't think that's anything to be scared about because every movie gets reshoots. Every single movie gets reshoots. For anyone to say that a film that gets reshoots means that it's bad or that it's a failure or that it's going to bomb that just means that they do not understand how films are made every movie goes through a reshoot process yeah and i think the only reason we hear about reshoots now is because star wars had them and then after that like websites learn that people will click on it if they report on it so now every movie that gets reshoots you're going to hear about because i think of star wars really it was i think it was rogue one that got the most reshoots that really Mm -hmm. yeah and, and there's even that rumor going around with uh, a lot of Solo had to be reshot also. For, like, <laughs> they shot like 80%, 80% of the movie. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but I think in this situation, it's kind of just clickbaity. Uh, from what I heard, like the, the big thing that people were kind of not super ecstatic about was the ending. So I assume that, you know, that's why they did the test screening, see what mm-hmm. worked and what didn't. And now they're just going back and kind of refining it to make it even better. So I don't think this is anything to be worried about and i think it's actually probably gonna make the movie yeah. better so i mean i'm so excited for this uh, movie yeah me too i just want to see the trailer yeah. and i want to see the scene with the teeth that was reported the teeth on. the <laughs> teeth i have to see that <laughs> i'm actually ready to avoid as many trailers as possible to go in as blind <sighs> as possible see i was gonna do that but i've learned that you can make 
a video about anything related to this movie and people will watch it. <laughs> so yeah, that it brings true. has brought in a lot of subscribers for me over the past couple months. So <laughs> I know I'm going to end up doing a video on the trailer. And for this podcast, we have to watch the trailer. Like, because we do Halloween alerts, Okay, that's you know? fair. I mean, for what you're doing, it absolutely makes yeah. sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, jury's still out on, like, Star Wars 9. I don't think I'll watch that trailer. But, yeah, I, I'm really excited for this movie. I think, resh- like, obviously reshoots happen for every movie, so <laughs> there's nothing to be worried about. I just really wanted to get a mm. Halloween alert in, and that's the only thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, next up on the list is that Overlord... The movie that was originally rumored to be a Cloverfield movie uh, is, but is no longer a Cloverfield movie or never was, is rated R for strong, bloody violence, disturbing images, language, and brief sexual content. So you might get to see a little Nazi nub, a little bit of drop some dong in that movie. I'm excited for this. I mean, this. they did it in uh, in Planet Terror. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> you know, we can, we can, although I don't know is, if that's, it's definitely not Nazi nub, but it was mutant nub. Yeah, and the, the movie we're talking about later also showed a little penis. Just a little bit. <laughs> yes, just one a, little, a little bit. bit. It, it's, it's a hefty amount of... <laughs> <laughs> so, is this the first R-rated bad robot movie? Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what they do. Because they, they put their name on other things. Like, they do Mission Impossible, right? And Yeah, the Cloverfields. Yeah. At least ten. Like, Cloverfield Lane and the original one. Jonathan, do you know if they've yeah. done any R movies? I I don't I don't know off the top of my head, but I will say I am amazed that people that if anyone is surprised that Overlord is rated R, like what did they think was going to happen with a Nazi <laughs> zombie movie? Like the moment it's it's not even the zombie thing, like because there have been PG zombie movies, but the moment you have Nazi, okay, it's R. Yeah, like you you have a swastika yeah. on there, it's an R movie, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised by this at all, and if anything, I'm excited what kind of creative freedom that gives abrams and the bad robot crew for this film i think this is going to be really cool it kind of from the brief descriptions we've gotten so far it sounds like a good version of that frankenstein's army movie where i oh man i like the creatures in that movie and i like the the creature design was amazing yeah and some of the kills and like the gore was awesome in it but i don't think the plot really came together all that well but this sounds like it's going to be good and scary and i googled it and it is their first r-rated movie Okay. Nice. So Very cool. hopefully they push it to the extreme. Yeah, like, really, go really for push a that hard, hard R. R. There we <laughs> see. We're on the same page. <laughs> that would be awesome. I, I mean, because if you're killing Nazi, like you could do whatever you want to him. You know, and on yeah, you screen, can do I feel you like you just get a free boys. pass. It's like they're only worse than like you could do more to them than you could do the KKK. Probably on screen, I would go as far as eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people know. That Nazis are evil, so, and there's been enough imagery of them being evil mm-hmm. in film for anyone to put them in a movie and do horrific things to them, and people to go, oh, you know, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. So. Yeah, no one's gonna blame you for going hard on the Nazis. No, not at all. And the moment I feel like slap uh, a swastika on their own, that's it. It's fair game. I feel like we're gonna see some pretty cool imagery. I mean, cool as in dark and scary, like because there's gonna be surgery stuff probably psychological things i don't know i feel like this movie is I just, gonna be cool i really want it to be wolfenstein yeah that's all yeah that's what we oh, said that's awesome. what we said yeah when uh, it was announced all i want is for them to like kill a shit ton of nazis a shit ton of nazi zombies for there to be weird supernatural elements and throw in a little bit of indiana jones kind of adventure into it and yeah. i i'll i'll buy probably 10 tickets yeah 
I'll go see it a couple times. Yeah, I might, I, I'll, sure. might, I'll movie pass it, and I'll see it again for full price. But um, yep, I, I really want a trailer for it. So hopefully that's out soon because I heard this movie is just done. Like it was supposed to be out very soon. So I hope we get a trailer soon. And fingers crossed. Continuing on, um, the trailer for that Tremors show that got not picked up by Sci-Fi. It leaked, quote unquote. Uh, and I watched it, and I was impressed. I thought it was pretty good. And obviously, there's something wrong with the show for sci-fi to pass on it, but this trailer was not bad. I thought it was cool. I just thought it was funny no. that he used the theme from It Follows also. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely picked up on that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it looks like it was sort of an extension of the first film. Yeah. It had that tongue-in-cheek attitude, but it also knew how to play with suspense and with actual physical movement, how to make every single step a tension, an experience, experience in tension. So uh, it's, it is a bit of a shame that sci-fi didn't pick it up, but if anything, I'm wondering if the interest that the trailer has caused will see another studio offer to pick it up. I mean, we saw it happen with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Less than 24 hours after it was canceled, it was picked up. So. Yeah. Also, uh, with Deadpool, when the original like half finished trailer leaked, that got picked up shortly afterwards. So maybe exactly, this is just yeah. kind of a ploy to have see you know what kind of interest it generates with other places that might want to pick it up. I mean, it was the same thing actually with Deadpool. Uh, I saw an interview recently with Ryan Reynolds, and he was saying that after that uh, first trailer came out, the the one before there was even a movie green lit. Like, he was even saying that it wasn't supposed to be released, and somehow it got out. And he said that less than 24 hours later, uh, they were greenlit. For the yeah. Movie. So, this, so this Tremor show could happen. So, the voice of the audience. <laughs> yeah, it's all in the hands of the people. That's what it really and takes. And I saw that the and trailer, actually, I, when it got uploaded to YouTube, I guess, a fan upload or whatever, got, like, a ton of views. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, it's, it's a big deal for a lot of people. I mean, that series has been going on for a while. There are hugely dedicated fans. It's rife with possibilities. And plus, it stars Kevin Bacon, yeah. which, I mean, he's he's right. essentially become a meme. So <laughs> you put him in something, and people are going to gravitate towards it. Yeah, like, he carried uh, that show The Following for a couple seasons, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah that at least, was, like, three seasons. Yeah, that show was something. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the only thing that I could think of is that maybe the graboids didn't look as great as they could have in this show because you don't really see them in the trailer. You see them kill someone, but you don't see them uh, because sci-fi actually with shows like Channel Zero, they did some really cool dark practical effects that looked awesome. Yeah. So maybe they yeah, that don't show want that standard to be uh, ruined by like diminished. Yeah, anyway. yeah, exactly. I don't know because, like you said. Like, in Channel Zero, they do some really cool practical effects. And the monsters, like, creatures, anything in that show all look really good. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like this show with a little bit of tweaking, or if you put it on maybe a different network, I think it could do well. I am i don't know. I mean, I, I, th I also liked the trailer. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I was impressed, honestly. I was like, huh. All right. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, get behind reviving this show uh i'm glad i watched it <laughs> so next on the list is a weird announcement for a lot of reasons so last week we talked about this kind of uh walmart canada accidentally leaked a bunch of games that were supposed to get announced at e3 and rage 2 was one of them and instead of you know pretending like that wasn't a thing 
the Rage Twitter account became active and critiqued the actual Walmart page and told them all the things they had wrong about the real Rage 2. <laughs> and then they just put out a gameplay trailer today. And it's from... But but not only did they put out... Uh, did they respond via Twitter with like, oh, the key art is wrong, the font yeah. is wrong, like, yeah. this is wrong, and that's wrong. My favorite response was Bethesda, the parent company that's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They responded to that tweet, and all they wrote was, dude. <laughs> and then uh, Pete Hines was like, come on. Like, it was a great little yeah. chain. I loved it. Uh, and so... The, the gameplay trailer, it's made by Avalanche, who made the Mad Max game, and honestly, the best part about that game was the driving. Uh, like, they handled the Mad Max aspect well, and it looks like it has the shooting from Doom 2016, so seems like a lot of good ingredients. I, I, I never thought they'd bring back Rage, because that game was not received well when it came out the first time. Yeah, this was a game where I never expected to see a sequel to it. I think it, the original sales were pretty piss poor, and I, I mean, I think people kind of liked it, but I never heard anyone talk about it after the year it yeah. came out. It was basically like, yeah, that sure was a <laughs> game, was a and game. no one ever it said It came out on the same it. day as Dark Souls. Yeah, it did. So that kind of overshadowed it quite a bit, but uh, it's cool that it is actually getting a sequel. This the like The short teasers they put out look really good, so I'm excited for it. I've I never played the first Rage, but I did watch a friend of mine play it. Uh, when it first came out, and I honestly cannot remember much from it, but what I do think is that if we look at the state of action games mm -hmm. over the past several years, we see that there is there has been a change. So you look at Gears of War, you look at Call of Duty, you look at The Division, you look at all these different games, and they embrace this idea that in order for it to be a tense action experience, it needs to be a lot of duck and cover. You mm -hmm. need to duck against the wall and then pop up to shoot a couple rounds and duck back down, then pop up and shoot a couple rounds and duck back down. That was every single fight in Gears of War in, in all of those games. But then Doom uh, 2016 came around, and it completely upended that. It said, if you need ammo, you better get your ass in the middle <laughs> of all of those demons and punch the shit out of them. Like, literally break a leg in half so that you can smash it into the creature's face, and then you'll get some ammo. Like, it it completely revolutionized. Oh, I don't want to say revolutionized. Let me change that, because that's how it used to be. Right. But it brought that style back. And so now that fans had that kind of taste and people are still talking about doom 2016 they're still playing it they're still loving it i honestly believe that because of that we're going to see more games that embrace a different way of creating an action experience and so that's why i think rage 2 is generating such interest is because it has the possibilities of creating something new and exciting totally and i i, I just i'm so excited because i totally agree with you like there was a shift with Doom 2016 where instead of hiding you were the one, you were just running in and it was just all about never stop moving, never stop firing and never stop like using your chainsaw when you're out of ammo. And even Wolfenstein uh 2 embraced a lot of that stuff, the one that came out last year. I and that's the kind of shooter that I really like cuz I play a lot of first person shooters, but I don't know, Bethesda is just killing it i know it's weird that people don't yeah, buy their the, games because i know just it's hard yeah, to be but that's what it comes to like the single yeah. player experience because they're the only ones that are really pumping out like single player game after single player game like they even made an evil within two <laughs> which no one even expected evil within to get a sequel and that was actually really good oh, so I, I, I don't know i still like, think about <laughs> evil within two dude like that game the, the last boss fight 
in that game, there's that that pan out wide shot they do. Yeah, of the, like goop monsters, awesome. just so cool. I love that game. I we're probably. I got to tell you, what? I played I played the first Evil Within, and I generally genuinely just did not. Yeah, like the first it, to one's the point rough. that I got to the final. I got to the final boss, and I kept dying over and over just because of weird mechanics like enemies were glitching up to where i was or my weapon just wasn't hitting it was a weird thing but i was like you know what i just i don't care enough to beat this game yeah the, and the so first i never finished so it and i never rough. did it. but the second one i look at it and i'm like i'm actually genuinely interested in this game and how it plays out and the story that it's telling it seems far more interesting and engaging than the first one it kind of retcons the entire first game you, you don't even need to play it, really. Yeah. And uh, it redoes all the controls, redoes all the combat. The mechanics are way tighter. Yeah. <laughs> the, the leveling system is great. Uh, it, it feels... Crafting is fun. Exploration is cool. They had an open That's world really... segment, and the boss fights are all yeah. sweet. It's, they really took everyone's complaints to heart with it and made the best game they could. It really... it's It delivered on the promise of being a true follow-up to Resident Evil 4 that wasn't hardcore action like it was very scary but you felt just powerful enough to where you felt okay to explore the open world segments like you weren't just going to get destroyed and i i loved it i i beat the evil within one but once you get to that bridge segment where it becomes an action game it just it all falls apart yeah yeah, and the story is complete nonsense in the <laughs> yeah, first one. Yeah, they actually tell a... What story? story? Yeah. The story makes no sense. <laughs> oh, we've kind of painted ourselves into a bit of a corner. Oh, let's just teleport Sebastian to some random place and never explain it. <laughs> like, oh, shit, we don't know what we're doing anymore. I bet that uh, that whole mechanic of it being inside that character's head the entire time was added like a month before it came out because they were like, well, we have a bunch of levels. It's like Transformers 2 where they shot all the action scenes yeah. and then rode around them. <laughs> God, fuck, fuck, fuck that game. <laughs> Evil Within. Yeah, so I, I recommend was, the second one. I was one. actively angry playing it. Yeah. But yes, the second one. I, I highly it, recommend it. Uh, so, uh, I also saw you were getting mad at um, Deus Ex Mankind Divided on Twitter. John. Dude, okay, so I started it. I was like, all right, I'm going to play this game. Uh, I, I had to download it, so I already had to wait like an hour for it to download. Then I open it, and I'm like, okay, so let me change a couple settings. It already feels a little you know, slow and awkward. Let me hit start. I want to play this game. Okay, cool. There's a little bit of an intro sequence. There's a quite a bit of an intro sequence. There's a lot of bit of an intro sequence. <laughs> I forgot. There's a fucking Criterion is. unedited director's cut of an intro sequence. Sweet Jesus. It's the it's the Lord of the Rings extended edition of all three films put together as the intro sequence. Uh. Adam Jensen didn't ask for this, and neither did you. <laughs> he did oh not my ask for god! This. And then, and then, even worse is I sat through all of it. Like I legit sat through every second of that. I played the opening mission. I get to the next thing where I get off the train and I meet my character. And as we're walking, the game suddenly stops <laughs> and goes, "We haven't installed this portion yet. You'll have to wait." And I was like, "I was in this game for like forty fucking minutes watching a movie." What were you doing? <laughs> what were you playing it on? PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, PlayStation. It's weird. It's really weird, dude. I don't know what happened there. I just knew you were upset about it, so I wanted to bait you a little bit. <laughs> All right. Bait taken. Hook, line, and sinker. So uh, we have some good news next, though. Uh, the Suspiria remake that George and I... We, we watched Suspiria for the first time for last week's episode. We both loved it. And then we looked up this remake... And it, it's it's different enough to where I think it's 
easy to get excited for. They released two images for it today and announced that it comes out in theaters on November 2nd, which is right after Halloween. So I am, I'm on board. This looks great. So I, I think it's, I, I think it's amazing that the two of you saw it recently for the first time because you have a different set of expectations. Oh, you wrote this article for too. it than, than I do. Um, yes, that was me. Hello. Um, but uh, I think your expectations are a little different, little different simply uh-huh. because I saw the movie like literally half my life ago. Uh, so I've been watching it, uh, you know, for years and years, and I've developed a love and relationship with it at multiple periods of my life. You know, when I'm in high school, when I'm in university, uh, during my first job, you know, when I moved out, uh, like all these different periods in my life, I would watch Suspiria, and because I was different, I saw it in a different light. Now, that being said, I'm very excited for this uh, upcoming remake, reboot, reimagination, whatever anybody wants to call it, um, simply because it's such an iconic film that I'm really curious how they're going to do something different Mm -hmm. with it. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel, too. Uh, that movie, the original, still looks great. It looks awesome. Yeah, definitely holds up. Watched. It's so gorgeous. You, George, you said something about you were like, it's a visual, you call it a visual masterpiece, and I totally agree with yeah. that. I mean, it for sure is a visual masterpiece. Just, like, some of the scenes of gore, some just the, like, gothic architecture. That first scene when uh, she steps out into the rain, and she's, like, pounding on the door trying to get into the school, and it's all lit up red and pink. Mm-hmm. And it just pans up as the the one girl falls through the ceiling and hangs herself. It's just, it's incredible. It's like one of the most visually interesting horror movies ever made. I would argue that it's one of the most visually interesting movies ever made. I could get on board with that. I I loved yeah. it. It was a lot of fun. It was a movie that I finished watching and I was like, okay, I, I know the plot. So now I want to rewatch it and just look at the scenes. Like look at the scenery and ignore what is going on in the movie and just like take in the actual shot work because everything about it was great so i really hope that they Plus can the capture music. that oh the music was awesome yeah oh the goblin music. yeah so good oh, god damn yeah so dakota johnson is starring in this with tilda swinton and chloe grace moretz there's a bunch of other people in it but it's directed by luca guadagino guadagnino guadagnino yeah so we brought jonathan yeah. on just to pronounce names for us <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm excited. I I think it looks cool. I like the grain on these screenshots too. It looks it looks modern, but you, it also looks kind of old. Like you're looking through a window. It's kind of sweet. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm kind of excited for it. Uh, I'm more interested to see, like you were saying earlier, how they're going to <coughs> interpret it in a new way. Because I don't think there's any way to like remake the original at this point. Definitely not. No, so it's not. really going to be the task of how are you going to take this source material and update it and change things to make it interesting for a modern audience. Not that the old one uh, is you know disinteresting to a modern audience, but a way to kind of update it for for you know new people who've never even seen it before. Yeah, here's the thing: I'm I'm totally aboard. All, all I'm all aboard for remakes, reboots, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if they do something that kind of honors the original but sets itself enough apart that you can experience two different things when watching the original versus the new adaptation. I mean, we saw that, I think a perfect example is you can watch 
Ringu and then immediately watch The Ring uh, one right after another. And they'll be the same story, but they have a completely different feel to them. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. They play very differently. Uh, you look at Evil Dead, uh, done by Fede Alvarez, yeah. and it really stands on its own. There are definitely times when movies can get a reboot, a remake, whatever, again, whatever you want to call it. And it will be an amazing experience. We just have to have an open enough mind to say, the original will never be ruined for me. So therefore, I go into this with no expectations. Yeah, that's, that's how... We've talked about this before, and that's usually the side of the fence we come down on. There's if, As long as you're not just shot for shot remaking the movie, a la Kevin Fever or something... Or uh, uh, Psycho psych- with... Exactly, uh, Psycho yeah, with Vince funny Yeah, right. <laughs> it's literally a shot-for-shot remake. Because then it's, it doesn't make sense. But if if you're really bringing something new to the table, then I'll give it a chance. Especially, Suspiria came out, what, like 1977? So it's it's been yeah. a bit, you know? like I feel like there that movie is far enough removed, this new one is far enough removed from the original that... You know, they, they have some stuff to play around with. I did hear at CinemaCon they showed some footage, and it was really good. People were pretty excited about it, so... Uh, apparently, that was a situation when some people walked out, or at least were very disgusted oh, there we by go. what they saw. <laughs> yeah, I heard it involved a penis, <laughs> so... Not yeah, to spoil it for uh, people, but... It's... it's uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a... Again, a visually striking movie, but in a totally different way than Dario Argento's. Yeah, and I feel like casting Tilda Swinton as the headmaster lady was a perfect casting decision. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that completely fits. Uh, So, now we have some sad news to talk about, though. The Exorcist is cancelled. I think on the first episode of this podcast, we were like, here's why you should watch The Exorcist. Reason one. (laughs) It's gonna get cancelled if you don't watch it. So you guys really came through for the show. Good job, listeners. Uh, it got canceled. And I saw people getting pissed at Fox, but Jeremy Slater, the showrunner, said via Twitter, he said, I know it's easy to get angry at Fox, but the re- reality is that we are the lowest rated drama on any network, and they still brought us back for a second season because they love the show. There are no bad guys in this scenario. And that's just how it is. It was a ratings thing. Nobody came around for second season. I, I know they stirred up some controversy with some plot points, but... None of it was enough to save the show. But I think it's cool that we got two seasons of it. So I'll be completely honest. I've only seen the very first episode of the first season, but I loved it. Now, the problem was that uh, when that came on, I was just in a place where I didn't have the time to watch and or binge a series like that. But I'm still really interested in seeing what they do. Now, from what I gather, the other problem is that it's not the kind of show that you can start watching like three, four episodes in. So if they do a plot twist, then it's hard for someone to begin watching after that because they don't understand how the stakes have changed. I definitely agree with that because in season one, there's a point where a twist happens and then every episode after that, it feels like there's another twist. So it's kind of like what people would say when Lost was on. I didn't watch that show, but it felt like everyone would say, oh, you can't miss an episode because you'll be totally lost. Uh-huh. And even uh-huh. but I'm Tish. <laughs> like especially between seasons, like if you hadn't watched the first season at all and you wanted to pick it up 
like when it came back for a second season, there was no way you'd be able to follow anything at all that was happening. That was really a story that you needed to watch sequentially, and people weren't going to go back and watch the first season because nobody watched it when it was on TV. So it was kind of doomed to fail from the second season, yeah, I Yeah, it was not a show no. made for network TV, for sure. It was definitely made no. to be on a premium channel. Yeah, I agree with now, that for sure. something else that I saw as a comment on Twitter was that uh, there was a person who said, you know what, it is sad that The Exorcist was canceled, but we got two amazing seasons out of it, and we potentially avoided the show straying into territories where it became almost like superheroes fighting off demons or you know entering supernatural and i by that i mean the show not the concept like supernatural territory mm-hmm. where they you know it's who's the baddie this season yeah so, or it might have gone on too long for its own good like uh, exactly. uh ash versus evil dead oh yeah because that show <laughs> felt like it had a great ending at season two and i caught up on season three and i kind of wish i didn't because like season three introduces some cool stuff but it's Nowhere near as good as season two, and the ending they like leave off on is a stupid ass cliffhanger. I don't know why they said they ended that show because they really didn't. They just introduced something really cool. So yeah, I'm glad that this show ended like on its own terms, kind of. Like I heard that it has a real ending, so it sucks. Well, I'm sure they weren't expecting to get picked up for yeah, season three. Yeah, I'm sure they went into this season ready for it to like be the yeah. last season. So it's yeah. not like Hannibal, where there is an ending to season three, but then they do a post-credit sequence, and you're like, "Oh, there really isn't an ending." Why would why <laughs> do that? It's so annoying. But hopefully, Hannibal gets picked back up. Yeah, I'm, fingers oh God, crossed. Please. Some kind of that comes back in some way, shape, yeah, or form. Yeah, I'm fine that's with like the, my favorite television show of all time. I'm fine with The Exorcist just being done. Like we did it. That's good. yeah. Uh, I'm not really gonna miss it, but I think it's cool that we got it and i think it is actually better than most people would expect Mm -hmm. it to be so i think if people do want to go back and watch it i think it is two seasons of good tv and you know say we didn't get more but at the same time what we got was pretty quality like more than we deserved so yeah so next up here we have two jurassic park related stories so universal hollywood announced that they're going to be closing down um jurassic park the ride on september 3rd but they're going to close it down for a little bit and then they're going to rebuild it sort of as a Jurassic World themed ride. And I was kind of disappointed at first, but after going on this ride last weekend, it really needs it. It needs the refurbishment. It needs like it needs a shot in the arm. They need to fix up some of the animatronics, get a new plot going because there's, there's a lot of problems with that ride. But uh, it's cool that they're keeping the actual theme, but uh, it, it is sad to see a 25 year old ride change this much, I think, a little bit. It's something where a facelift on an old ride can be something that really revitalizes it. Like, I, I know it's not going to be as big of a drastic change as this, but when they took in uh, California Adventures the Tower of Terror ride and turned it into the Guardian's Breakout ride. So, I mean, that's obviously a complete change yeah. in theme from the original ride, but I think going in, taking something that is established and being able to kind of refresh it and just kind of revisit it in a new way is something where, I mean, it's it's the same ride as Tower of Terror, but it's, you know, it's really fun and cool that they did all these new things to it, and I think that's something they can do pretty easily with this ride. Yeah, I totally agree, and I've, I've ridden Jurassic Park so many times, it's not like I feel like, man, I never rode it, I wish I did, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. It's, it's fair shake, but that, that park... <laughs> 
So, Jonathan, I don't know if you know, but the Universal Studios out here is poultry compared to the one in Florida. They have, like, I think, six rides. They have... Oh, like, wow. Really? Harry Potter, Simpsons, The Mummy, Jurassic Park, and Transformers, and a couple other rides that don't really matter. But, yeah, that's how... It's tiny, and it's cheap to get in, but their hours are terrible, and the mummy needs a complete facelift. It's it's not the same one as the Florida ride. It's much worse. And yeah, I was about to say the Florida one is yeah, pretty great. I, I I thought the Florida one was sick too. I loved it. And then I go on the one here and it's about half as long and it always breaks, I guess, and it doesn't have a lot of the cool stuff like the fire ceiling or anything. So yeah, they need hmm. to really just step up their game here. Well, I mean is it sad that a Jurassic Park ride is getting facelifted for a jurassic world ride i don't necessarily think it's sad uh i definitely feel a twinge Mm -hmm. simply because uh, you know i knew i've known that film for so long i know that property for so long but at the same time jurassic world was such a box office sensation that it reached a whole new generation and it was an opportunity for parents who for children who saw Jurassic Park in theaters and now have children of their own to kind of go through that experience together as a family. And if they make it into Jurassic World, I think it's just opening it for a whole new generation to have to build those kinds of memories for their children later on. I definitely agree. Like they 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 kind of had to. They had to make it Jurassic World also cuz like you mentioned, it's the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. <laughs> so they they have yeah. a real reason to do it and i really like jurassic world it like i have very minor problems with it so i don't really care i just wonder if they're gonna put indominus rex and indoraptor or both because you know one of those is going in but i'd be happy to see both of those guys because they're pretty cool i mean let's also be honest a 25 year old ride there's only so much that you yeah. can do to fix it and update it yeah but it's still gonna feel like an outdated ride when you when you replace it with modern technology and modern opportunities then you get something that's far more exciting and for all we know that might make you know universal studios hollywood uh step up its game and start to get on the level of you know at least in in your view of universal orlando yeah totally i'd be fine with that and so we'll see how it goes though when they reopen the ride so we got two more news stories here yeah first one they showed up a featurette for jurassic world fallen kingdom and normally we don't talk about these things but i think it's cool that a they mentioned that there's more dinosaurs in jurassic world fallen kingdom than every other jurassic park movie combined which how can you be upset about that and they showed (laughs) off a lot of the practical uh work that they're doing in this movie one thing that i thought was entirely cgi was the part in the trailer when the t-rex is sleeping in the cage and it come wakes back up Everything down, like, the they built the T-Rex, and when the pupil dilates, when Owen is shining the light in the eye, that was all practical. They, like, made the eye, like, a real eye, I guess. So I mean, that was the same thing that they did. I think that's a callback to the T-Rex, his head coming down yeah. next to the, the Jeep mm-hmm. in Jurassic Park, and when Lex shines the flashlight into its eye. It looks like a real eye. It's just bizarre. It's yeah. really creepy. But they can do that. I mean, okay, so I'm going to be, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Okay. You know, when you say that there are more dinosaurs in this movie than all of the previous films combined. 
And to that, my response is, okay, that's all well and good, but are you using them effectively? Because if you're just going to show, like, a stampede of dinosaurs and then, like, claim that as there is more dinosaurs in this one stampede than in all the other movies, and you go, that's that's great. I really don't give a shit. Um, how about you actually, like, use them in interesting ways? Yeah, so... So I'd much rather I have, I think like, that's what's happening. I'd rather have, like, five or six dinosaurs... And for them to be really scary and really, like, feel like a threat than for there to be a shit ton of dinosaurs. So my theory is that you're correct. The the volcano eruption that happens in the beginning of the movie, uh, that's going to be where you see all these dinosaurs that they're talking about. But after that, mm-hmm. I think it's going to heavily focus on, obviously, T-Rex, Indoraptor, Baryonyx, and Carnotaurus. Like, all those guys that they've shown in the trailers. Because... Uh, once it, once it moves to Lockwood Manor, that big house, I think that's what's going to start. Hit. They're going to really focus on a few dinosaurs. But the Baryonyx in the trailer looks sick. Like, it looks really scary. So at least we're getting one new dinosaur that's actually scary that's going to be featured in the movie from what we know so far. I, I like mean, the egghead dinosaur. The, the Oh, the, the one that they show in the trailer when it just hits the wall and it's like all confused. Yeah. I knew you were going to like that. I fucking knew it. <laughs> Is that the same dinosaur that was in uh, the Lost World oh, when they yeah. were trying to capture it? It slammed into the yeah. door of that jeep that and like, fired the guy through the other side. Yep. I'm All right, Jonathan, it. I got a question for you. How do you? Where do you come down on uh, Lost World? I love it. Yes. Yes. I love it. I don't get the hate. For I it. don't either. I really don't. I don't get. I think it's a genuinely wildly entertaining. It's fucking movie. awesome. Like, are there some parts? Are there some parts that make me go, okay, yeah, that's pretty bad uh yes but at the same time like okay so there's a scene in the lost world that always makes me kind of roll my eyes and that's the gymnastic scene oh she's yeah. like flipping oh, yeah. around to to kick a uh, a raptor out of the thing okay just just spin once and kick it you don't have to you know get a 10 out of 10 from russia china and the u.s all right this is not the olympics yeah you're fighting for your life um, so yeah that definitely frustrated me yeah that part sucks um, I, I, it's really uh, bad but then, but then you think in jurassic park there's always one scene that makes me just i don't know why but it makes my teeth grit and that's when uh uh what's sam neill's character why alan can't I grant his character's name alan grant where dr grant is outside and he's calling for ellie and uh she you know she appears there and uh then you know she's very excited but then she just goes run and then runs up to him and gives him a hug i'm like uh what what, run for i just noticed that this weekend and it bothered me too i was like what that's so tonally off it yeah it just it felt like a very weird scene that they put in there for not all that much yeah at least not from my perspective but then again you know aside from that i love Jurassic Park and I love The Lost World like I have no problems whatsoever with that I think that's the soundtrack for that movie like John Williams score I don't think it gets enough credit it's just I listened to it on the way to work today because I have an hour-long commute I listen the whole thing start to Mm -hmm. finish and I do this with Star Wars but there's very few movies where I can listen to a soundtrack from start to finish and like vividly remember every scene that's tied to each track and that happens with that movie. It's so good. Just that scene with the the trailer where the two T Rexes come out of like the oh, tree line and it, the music that that's goes with one it. Of the, oh my god! That that may be one of the best sequences in the entire 
Jurassic Park oh, franchise. God. And the raptors in the grass, that is that, that was like genius. I love that. It's it's so like, how much good. scarier uh, they, can they get? And and honestly, for all those people that are complaining about the T Rex in San Francisco, you know what? I don't want to hear it. Okay, because yeah. <laughs> those people probably have five of the Godzilla movies on their shelves, and they're like, "Oh, it's totally cool when Godzilla stomps on Tokyo, but we can't have Godz- uh, a T Rex run through uh, run through San Francisco." How cool is that? Yeah, and the T Rex also spends less time in San Francisco than Jason spends in New York. So. Like, in the grand scheme of the entire two-hour and change movie, it's it's so tiny, and it's cool when it happens. You get to see it, like, hit a bus. It's just fun to yeah, see a T-Rex. That's the thing. It's like, like yeah. that entire sequence, aside from the, the T-Rex drinking from the pool, it's basically nonstop action and destruction. Like, what more do you want? That sequence, that sequence, I will argue, is better than the entirety of the last Godzilla movie. The, oh, uh, the Gareth Edwards the one? U.S. one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. I, it's, and it's like, people, like it's that T-Rex is an animal. You get to see the animal in San Diego reacting to things like buses and stores and like it's getting sensory overload and just seeing this dinosaur in public and it's not cringy at all. I think that's awesome. I think they did. That's and great. plus... A really, a really fun thing. I mean, everyone remembers the Asian men, you know, looking over the shoulder and running as like an homage to the Godzilla mm-hmm. films. Apparently, I read this. I don't know if it's true. If, if it's not, please correct me. But I've heard that what they're screaming in uh, Japanese is "We left Japan to avoid yeah, this." Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. <laughs> that is what they're saying. Yep. So, like, come on, guys. It's so tongue in cheek. It's so ridiculous. But it's so fun. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. So uh, I want to move on to the next yep. story. We'll just go on to it really quick. Basically, Lars von Trier showed his new movie, The House That Jack Built, and it caused walkouts at Cannes, which <laughs> you, 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 could take that, uh, <laughs> you could take that one of two ways. So basically, it was because of the violence and the torture and all that. But also, I heard that the actual movie is kind of boring other than those scenes. And I feel like Cannes is a kind of pretentious film event, so... I don't feel like kind yeah, of kind of right. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I'm, I I want to see this movie now, but I kind of don't want to buy into that hype at the same time. That's how I feel on it. Um, I am always skeptical when there are people who you know claim that something is phenomenal yeah. out of a film festival or they claim that something is you know absolutely horrifying and and terrible out of a film festival i think that we need to remember that i mean i've been to many festivals myself and i know what it's like to just sit in a theater and watch one movie after another after another after another like you can you can watch four five six films in a day depending on what your schedule is like I mean, when I was at Fantastic Fest last year, the press screenings were at, I think, 8 in the morning, and there were midnighters that I was watching. So I would, like, finish a movie at 2 a.m., <laughs> run back to the Airbnb, uh, write up several reviews, go oh to my sleep God. at like, 4 or 5 in the oh morning. I would wake up at, like, 6 in the morning. I would hit the gym, and then I would go to um, go to the press screening, which was at 8 in the morning, and just watch films throughout the day. And so what happens is you get into this mindset where you're in a little bit of a daze, but you're also, like, you start to view movies differently based on what you begin craving. Because if you see several movies that are 
that have the same kind of tone or theme, one right after the other, your body's going to want something different. Your mind is going to want something that's, that changes the pace. So I think that for a lot of people, if you watch a bunch of depressing, kind of pretentious uh, art house movies, that at a certain point, you're... If you suddenly see, so for example, Solo showed at Cannes, so people are watching a ton of, you know, really prestigious films from amazing directors, and then they suddenly go see Solo, it's going to be a different experience, and they're going to think of it differently than if they had just gone, like, on a weekday to a theater to screen that, and then that was all that right. they saw. So, so I'm, I'm, I don't discount the feelings of people and their kind of horror and shock at what Lars von Trier has created. I simply am not allowing their opinions to affect my own objective view of what this movie can be. I think that's the best any of us is going to put it. George, do you have anything to add here? Yeah. Um, I mean, this movie wasn't really something on my radar. I wasn't really expecting to like go out and see it or anything, but I don't know. I mean, it just seems like kind of okay but like very visually disgusting so i mean i'm good with one of those like once or twice a year but in general i'm probably just gonna pass on that cool so we're gonna take i mean i'll probably i'll probably end up seeing it but uh i'm not exactly on pins and needles (laughs) yeah that's 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 where i'm at i think Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back with our review of revenge This is Jimmy from the future. Before you listen to this segment, there's a ton of spoilers in it. We didn't go into it planning on doing that, but this movie just needed a spoiler section, so be warned. Okay, so we're back from our quick break, and this week we're talking about Revenge. And it's a new film from Neon Pictures, and I guess Shudder, they picked it up. But right now it's on a short Mm -hmm. theatrical run. It's also on video on demand services. But when it's done with all that, Shudder's going to have it if you're subscribed to that. And the plot synopsis from IMDb is never take your mistress on an annual guy's getaway, especially one devoted to hunting, a violent lesson for three wealthy married men. And that's like the worst synopsis for this movie possible. (laughs) So it's, it's a pretty awful synopsis, but at the same time, it's, I mean, the reason that it's so awful is because it focuses entirely on the wrong yeah. character. <laughs> it's focusing on the dudes. It's just like they are not. They're the. They're the yeah, prey. It's yeah. The the star of the film is the mistress, who is well aware that she is a mistress. Uh, there is no like she doesn't. She's not under any impression that you know this is some kind of. Uh, fairy tale romance like she's well aware that she's the side chick yeah totally and she's played by Matilda Lutz but I'll talk about that in a minute Uh, it's directed by Mm -hmm. Coralie Farge and uh, I got that right so I'm really proud of myself I think so (laughs) I can hear all the (laughs) listeners clapping for me and it stars (laughs) here we go I'll I'll add a little bit myself thank you thank you it stars Matilda Lutz as Jen uh, Kevin Janssen's as Richard Vincent Colombe as Stan and Guillaume Bouchetti as Dimitri. Guillaume Bouchetti. Guillaume Bouchetti as 
Dimitri. I think. So close. Yeah. Every goddamn week. <laughs> So close. Uh, so close yet so far. <laughs> so what did everyone think of this movie? Uh, Jonathan, you start. What did you think? I mean, I loved it. Uh, there were definitely some things about it that are wildly, wildly unbelievable. Um, and it definitely pays homage to uh, sort of early films that I grew up with. Namely, there's there's a great sequence with uh, Miltilda Lutz's character, Jen, in a cave where she has to, spoiler alert, where she has to self-cauterize a wound, and it is very, very, very reminiscent of a scene from Rambo 3, oh, yeah. Where, uh, yeah. where Rambo does essentially the exact same Dude, thing. Dude, oh, you just, like, um, jogged my memory on that. That is such a good, <laughs> oh, oh, my good, good it's, job. It's, like, it's seen for, it's, like, almost shot for shot, and it, but here's the thing: it doesn't feel like it's ripped off because no. it really doesn't. Instead, like one could definitely make the argument that Jen, as a character here, is in a way her a female esque Rambo. She uh, gets thrown into this very violent situation and has to be incredibly resourceful and has to be very deadly, but at the same time is vulnerable and we saw that in the first uh rambo film like he just walks into town he gets picked on uh he gets assaulted he breaks free and then he's just trying to uh kind of survive and then he decides that's it fuck it i'm taking matters into my own hands and i think we see that same kind of arc with jen but in a very different way because of the fact that she's a woman and because of the fact that we never lose sight of her femininity, which I think is extremely powerful. Yeah. It's definitely, you have to look at this. So I likened it to crank the Jason Statham movies. Like you have to look at this mm-hmm. yep. as an alternate reality, almost like a dark superhero movie. Cause once yeah. she like wills herself back to life at the beginning of the movie, basically. And after that, she's on a path of vengeance. That and it, you could totally tell that they were going for like s- some sort of spirit is within her that is willing her forward to murder these guys who, uh, you know, raped her. So, so here, that's a th- I think that's very important. We, you know, let's let me reread that IMDb synopsis, and then <laughs> I want us to come up with our own. Uh, so. IMDB says, never take your mistress on an annual guy's getaway, especially one devoted to hunting. A violent lesson for three wealthy married men. So, I honestly think that uh, a better synopsis would be a weekend hunting getaway for three married men spins wildly out of control when they rape uh, when uh, the mistress of one is raped and left for dead. I think that's good. Or something along those lines. I would I say, mean, like, three children the- learn the meaning of consequence. <laughs> <laughs> they are very childish. That is true. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so, I'll start with what, what I liked here. Um, I like that it, it picks a tone that it wants to go for, and it launches right into that. And I think the shot blocking is really good. I think that the gore in this movie is great. And uh, I think just the story it's trying to tell, it wants to open and close the book on the rape revenge story. And I think it does a great job of that. Like I, I could be done with this genre now and call this the like pinnacle of it. And 
I, I don't know. I just, I feel like having a female director perspective on this was a must, you know? I feel like that perspective yeah, was a, I agree with a that. great, you know, a great look oh, at yeah. this kind of story. I was surprised that they chose Matilda Lutz, and I was nervous that, uh, about her line delivery after Rings. And I will say that I, I was, I feel like I was right that she still has trouble with English, uh, but after the first 15 minutes she she stops talking and she's a really great physical actress she handles the shit that uh the director put her through really well now here's the thing when we say that she stops talking this isn't like a oh the woman just doesn't have any lines it makes right. actual sense that she just does she's not, not going to dignify these for idiots the vast majority of the movie with talk she's going to kill them <laughs> and and she's also not going to kind of the writing of the movie doesn't pander to an audience. You know, you don't have to have someone, uh, you know, wince in pain with an injury and say, ah, fuck, I can't believe it hurts this much. They can literally just go, and not say a word, and you understand that they are experiencing The gore is so good. It's so good. It's it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. It's also wildly unbelievable that she was... Yeah, there. when she gets a yeah. t- she gets the Takate logo tattooed on her chest, stomach. That was great. <laughs> yeah, like, everything that happens to this woman, you're like, there's literally no way in hell that she would survive. Yeah. So is the, first of all, like... Wait, what? Okay. It's, it, she, she... Okay, so, I mean, I, I think they've shown this in trailers, but basically she's pushed off of a cliff. Yeah, it's in the trailer. And she falls... She falls, like, what? Four like, or five stories, yeah, <laughs> onto a tree and <laughs> onto survives. a tree that impales her, yeah, <laughs> and she's like hanging, like with her head leaned back, her arms and legs back, like she like falls when Stacy stands on her back, essentially, yeah, and it's like. And then her way of getting free, and I still don't get this, is she yeah, sets that, fire <laughs> to the tree, and somehow that causes the branches to weaken and like, snap, rather than ignite the, her and set her aflame. Like, lighting the base of the tree on fire, like, hurts the structural integrity of the tree enough to the point where she can wiggle free and snap the branch off. And then, and then the by. amount of blood that she loses over the next, like... Uh, 15 to 20 minutes of on-screen time. Like, holy shit, guys. Like, that There's so much blood, blood in this movie. That I mean, it literally made me think that she was uh, related to Johnny Depp's character from A Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no way that there's that much blood inside of a human being. Any human. You can pick any human in this movie and say that. There is so much blood. Yeah. But it's it's unreal how much blood there is in this movie and it it gets, it comes to a comical head in the last sequence without spoiling anything the the last sequence yeah. i feel like if you've bought into I, the world it's a good payoff but if you have not bought into the superhero world that this movie wants to exist in it's kind of dumb in my opinion what did you what did I you think, think it's like it's you never uh, talked about what you thought of the movie though yeah i, I mean Overall, I thought it was, like, pretty good. I liked it. Um, I think that the... Like you said, you have to buy into the world of, like, this being basically, like, a superhero, almost origin story, where the transition from, like, damsel in distress to, like, hero of the film, that transition happens almost instantaneously, and that is something that, if you buy into the universe, then sure. But if you want more convincing, it just... You're not going to find anything there. So that that kind of bugged me, um, but I liked the gore. I liked the overall plot 
I thought it was really well shot. I like the scene with the uh, peyote hallucinations. I thought yeah. that was really interesting. I thought that was a scorpion she ate, and then I was like, oh, it's not, it's not a scorpion. <laughs> um, and, but this part that we're talking about where it kind of comes to like a comical, like Looney Tunes ending, I, I didn't like that, personally. <laughs> I like whoever, um, the person that's naked the entire time. That made me laugh really hard. Kevin Janssen's, yeah, yeah uh, Richard, he is... But I think that's a... It's a pretty powerful ending, um, simply because she was so vulnerable throughout the whole movie, and now he's kind of completely stripped down, and it's him who is kind of... Yeah. ...at the most vulnerable. I... So, I'm of two minds on I think... I like what the director was going for. I can totally see it, but I would. I don't think that uh, Jen was powerful enough in that scene. I think she. Could, it could have been. I think it could have been shown in a different way where it could have gone on just as long as it did, but it could have felt less like a game of uh, cat and mouse, like chase chase the guy mm-hmm. around. And it, it could have. Tom and I wish it was more yeah. her being like. I'm going to let this dude get to the brink of death. I'm going to let him, and I'm just going to follow him around this house, and then I'm going to finish the job. I feel like that would have been a more powerful way for it to go out. I still liked how much blood there was in it, honestly. like I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Just That was also an excessive amount of blood. <laughs> it was blood. so much blood. Yeah, just when it, when it kind of... Uh, there, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when I, in editing, I'm gonna go back and say that we're gonna spoil this movie because we've already spoiled so much of it. But uh, when the blood is coming into the doorway and she's looking down and looking, I was like, that, that would just not happen. It's like, you would, you would realize blood. so much earlier that you were leaking that much blood because you'd be sleeping. <laughs> you'd be like, oh, I'm feeling lightheaded. But uh, George, you noticed something about the shotgun that you wanted to point out. It's, it's our oh, pet yeah. peeve in so, movies. <laughs> Uh, I mean, just the fact that Jen has, like, a high-powered scope on a shotgun is kind of weird. I mean, it's to the point where she snipes a guy from, like, a like a ridge, and he's over at his car filling it up with gas, and she snipes him with a shotgun. Like, Well, I, th- I think we have to, I think we need to remember that with shotguns, there are two types of ammunition. There is the uh, buckshot, which right, spreads right. widely, especially over large, but then there's also shotguns that shoot a full-on yeah, slug. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely and a it's slug. essentially, for lack of better terms, it's yeah. a big But bullet. the scope, the power and of the shot from the slug would still <laughs> take your eye out. Cause, so I saw this in the movie, right? I was like, hmm. Because we've noticed this before because another person we watch on YouTube pointed out that movie, a lot of movies do this where they'll put a, a scope on a shotgun, like a high-power sniper scope. But uh, I Googled it, and I was like, I Googled... Uh, do you use a scope with your shotgun if you're shooting a slug? And the responses are all just like, yeah, if you want to have your brain come out the other side of your head. <laughs> so that's just something that whoever handles the props on movies, uh, I feel like should know not from now on. I just thought it was funny. It's not It's not a knock on the movie. Well, if anything, every movie if, anything that, um, yeah. if anything, that adds to the incompetence of the bumbling, you know, crummies. Yeah, who put the scope Richard. on the shotgun. In the first right. place. It's, exactly. not, it's no They're, fault so, of Jen. Yeah. It's just the fact it, that the yeah. gun has a Jen scope is kind of comical. Up, Jen picked it up and used the tool that was being held by the cronies. Yeah. So there's no fault on Maybe her it was on whatsoever. Purpose. Because the guys, 
it you know it gives you the impression that these guys aren't really hunting because they're going out there with AKs and insanely overpowered guns. They're going out into the desert. Like, what are you going to hunt out there? You know that you can't just I mean, coyotes? yeah. You, you're just going to blow. If you shoot a coyote with a slug with from a shotgun that big, it's <laughs> there's not going to be much it's left. It's going to blow up. <laughs> so yeah. I'll just put a stick of dynamite. I can honestly see that being on purpose. Actually, like they they want to look tough and cool with their military guns. Plus. I mean, think about where they are. They're in this luxurious house in the middle of the desert that you can only yeah, get to it? via helicopter or via like a really expensive four by four. So they're probably gonna, they're probably the types of people that go into a gun shop and are like, you know, what's your most expensive, most powerful shotgun? Oh, what kind of accessories do I need? Oh, I need this high-powered scope. Sure, I need the bandolier so I can, yeah. you know, carry ammunition <laughs> around my chest to look like a fucking badass. Totally. Oh, I need the, you know, the leather embossed holster. Give it all to me. How much does it cost? Pff, I have a bottomless bank account. Like that's the kind of impression that I got from these people. So if anything, it gave me this understanding of who they yeah. are versus who Jen is. Yeah, that's an interesting look at it. That's that, that definitely that really adds shine some some light on it. I also I also think that the movie is a little too long. I feel like it could trim some fat and would benefit greatly from it. Because uh, it feels like it should be ninety minutes and it goes for about an hour and forty five. I feel like if they cut out fifteen minutes of it, it would have benefited. Uh, but overall i really i really did like it i don't i think people could be turned off by the fact that it's a foreign language film but there's just you, you that's like a pretty you minor get the though there's not the really that many scenes regardless of... i mean let's be let's be honest the amount of dialogue in this movie is minimal is minimal like i yeah. would honestly estimate that they're that i mean so the uh for those who don't know, when you have a script in Hollywood, one page of a script is equal to one minute of a movie. So, you know, if you have a 90-page script, then theoretically you have a 90-minute okay. movie. Uh, and A Quiet Place, for example, which is a bit over an hour and a half, if I'm correct, was a 67-page script because there was so little dialogue. Right. Now, uh, I would estimate that this film is has the same kind of thing there really is not that much dialogue uh there's far more silence and kind of quote-unquote discussion via body language than anything else yeah there's a lot of flexing from characters like they like flexing on each other like i'm gonna rape your mistress it's like i'm gonna kick your ass because i know how to live in the desert and she's like i'm gonna blow your fucking head off because you raped me and left me for dead it's like a lot of like power play there's a lot of power play involved. What did you, what did you guys both think? This is what I want to ask you. What did you think of uh, the slow motion zoom in shots that they would do? Um, Jonathan, what did you think of that first? I mean, I'm always a fan of zooms. I think that zooms are kind of underutilized in today's films. Yeah, because or and they're they done digitally, something... which is always yeah. so yeah, annoying. Exactly absolutely so so in general i'm a fan of them like i okay. really enjoy them george what do you think of it I, I also liked them i thought that it was a nice way to break up different scenes and i mean they're all like so disgusting that it adds like a extra texture to the movie when they texture. come up that's a good way to put it and I, I i liked them i thought they were a nice way to add a little bit of you know gravitas and a little little bit of extra to it and i i liked them personally yeah 
I, the only one I, mean, I didn't I mean, wait, like go ahead. I go just ahead. didn't like the one the one with Dimitri. When he walks in on what's oh. on the rape scene. When he's eating the like yeah, nougat, like, what, what the like marshmallow like, oh thing. Oh my god, that was the oh. best one. <laughs> I was like, what is this ad? Like, what is this? <laughs> everyone so likes that one. And I, everyone, no, it's uh, like, it feels no, like I'm being pranked, because, dude. Uh, uh, people, every review I've read no, points it out. No, They're like, hey, Jimmy, the one scene that you really hated, everyone except you loves it. No, it's such a powerful moment because he walks in and he. this is the moment when he can choose... Is he going to be a decent person, or is he going to be a disgusting human being? And it makes it look like a pig-eating slop. Like, mm, okay. the, the way he chews it, it's just, it's spittle, it's gross, it's this mastication. It's the, that same sound that, it's, it's almost, like, aggressively sexual, just like the rape that's about to happen. And furthermore, as we're talking about how these people are, how Stan and Dimitri are essentially children, that they're constantly bickering and whining and crying, and, you know, they, they're not really adults. Like, what is he eating? He's eating fucking candy. He's eating <laughs> chocolate. Like, he's not eating an apple or, like, eating a sandwich or something. The whole point is that it's almost like he's got a bag of candy at a movie theater and he is a voyeur in this horrific experience like the whole purpose of that is that he actively chooses to to dehumanize jen and to essentially put her on a movie screen and say oh it's not real therefore i don't have to do anything okay so it, i didn't like it enough to where it was a hill i was willing to die on i just wanted it explained to me in a way that made it feel like it actually made sense. So I feel like that I just got that from you. So now I feel a little better about it. Uh, I it just it was weird to me. In the, right. I think this is a movie I need to watch twice. There's there's movies like that that come up where yeah. I I always felt like I was on shaky footing with grasping the tone with this. And I feel like if I bought into it earlier, I would have had a lot more fun with it. So maybe I just need to watch it again. But I I had a lot of fun with it. Definitely. And. Now here, okay. uh, I'll tell you this: when you rewatch it, keep in mind the concept that Dimitri is a voyeur, yeah. that he. Well, is I'm a picturing that in my head. How that plays into his, and how that plays into his. Well, it spoke fate. volumes to me when he goes out and turns on the F1 race during the rape scene, because the actual rape scene itself is is not gratuitous in any way, but it's a, it's, it's not gratuitous, but it's fuck. It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you think, George? Yeah, I agree. I think that that is, you know, that's kind of the scene that is the crux of the movie. So if that was done poorly, then it's kind of hard to build anything off of that point. Yeah. But I thought that it was done, like, tastefully in a way that uh, you, you didn't really have to show anything that was too, you know, disturbing. But it gets its point across in a really effective way. I think that that is due to Corley Farge's... Uh, direction because as a woman she's going to kind of plot out and uh, build a rape scene at least how it's shot and how it's filmed in a much different way than a man I mean we see it often in uh, in horror in rape revenge movies that are directed by men how they want to show it and it's this violent aggressive act but in in revenge 
you see it in a in a different way, but it's no less shocking, it's no less horrific, and it's no less nauseating. Yeah, I, I agree. So, right. I, I think that's right. something really uh, specific that a female perspective from the director chair was brought. I think that was a really good... I, I don't know, I just feel like this movie needed to be directed by a female. And I, I, I never oh, feel... Absolutely. Usually when these articles come up like that and stuff, where it's like, why are men directing these kinds of movies? I'm usually kind of eye-rolly on it, but this one I full wholeheartedly believe would have been a worse movie if a dude directed it. Even even a good director. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I feel like there's just perspective that dudes don't have to, in, in a lot of cases in directing something like this. But I, I really liked Absolutely. it. Absolutely, I completely agree. The only other thing that I want to bring up, and this is another minor nitpick, uh, for those of you who will watch the film, you'll, you're going to need to suspend your disbelief on just how much gas a dirt bike can have. <laughs> yeah, they they decide to show the gas situation with the Range Rover, but not the dirt bike. I was like, all right. I mean, he drives for yeah. days yeah. in the desert, like miles and miles and miles. And it was weird that uh, Richard's hunting gear, everyone else had like, you know, military fatigue style stuff on for their hunting gear. I did air quotes, but he's out there and like a, mo- like a dirt bike. Yeah, like a like motocross a, yeah, outfit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, well, I think that's that's all the more he's stupid. Im- important because for the for Stan and Dimitri in in going with the theme of them going to the gun shop and buying whatever is the most expensive and whatever is the coolest looking, they bought what is essentially uniforms. Uh, for hunting, like, what's the best hunting clothing that I can get? And that's what they got. Whereas Richard, uh, he's the only one that's wearing clothes that make it look like he's there for the sport. Yeah, definitely. He seems like the leader. The le- oh, he's, he's absolutely the leader. And let's be honest, what he's wearing is by no stretch of the imagination appropriate for hunting or in the being desert. being in yeah. the desert. But it... <laughs> exactly, but it absolutely calls to mind that he is viewing this as a sport. Yeah. And, and interestingly, you know how uh, Dimitri was watching F1 racing, like almost like this is some kind of a race, uh, like this is some kind of a game, and the first one to the finish line is the winner. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Now, I think a little movie detail. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but at the end when there's that long one shot of Richard walking around the house because he thinks he heard a noise and he walks along the edge of the pool to look over the landscape. Did you notice that Jen's shotgun barrel was sticking out from the from the edge no, of the No, because I wanted to know where she was. <laughs> That's where she oh, is. She, where, where Richard stands to look over the landscape, she's directly below him. Oh. You'll see like Maybe six to ten inches of her shotgun barrel sticking out. So to she the just side. got lucky, huh? Uh, either she got lucky, or yeah, I'm not sure how uh, it's how they wanted to frame it, but I absolutely noticed it, and I was like, "Oh shit, he's gonna turn his back, and that's it. He's fucked." Yeah. So uh, I think I I think I for sure actually know I'm gonna give this a, a watch immediately. Go to the theater. I would say go to the theater if you can. I feel like seeing this movie on a big screen would be awesome. I, I want to now that I watched it on my TV. But uh, I think it's just, I think it's a little more effective probably on the big screen, but it was very effective on the small screen. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely a very well-done movie. I, I mean, if I were to write a review for it, I would give it four. What would you give five. it on Letterboxd, George? 
Uh, I think I haven't reviewed it yet, but I'm probably gonna give it like a three five. Yeah, I give it three and a half because I, I'm yeah. an editor and I notice a lot of editing errors that I don't feel like a lot of other people would notice, and that really bothered me. <laughs> That's why I didn't bitch about it on here, but. Just, like, some technical shortcomings and some stuff due to length really bothered me. But I think uh, I think it's a must-watch for sure. Yeah, I'd also recommend to watch it whatever way you can. But if you do have access to it in a theater, I would say go. that'd be the route that I'd, I'd recommend. Yeah. You guys probably can't see it anywhere, yep. right? Mm, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I mean, it, it may come to Royal Oak. It's hard for me to see it. You know, so if it's hard for me to find a movie, I, I know for a fact... You guys probably yeah can't. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah thanks yeah thanks right <laughs> well I dude I I was never able to find the Shape of Water out here it was like at one theater that I was not willing to drive to which is bizarre yeah really because I saw it in like one of our just generic everyday movie I'm theaters. sure once the Oscar talk started happening it got picked up somewhere around here but by that point someone I knew had gotten a screener so I just watched it that way uh, oh that's yeah. that's it was, it was good <laughs> I liked it I just thought that was weird but uh yeah. So you can check out Revenge now in theaters, on demand, and later on on Shudder. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fear Frequency. So, Jonathan, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, If you want to find me, like uh, like you said, I am the managing editor of DreadCentral.com, so feel free to read my stuff on there. I would love it if you would also read everyone else's work, because I'm very proud of what they have. Feel free to share it, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, just look for DreadCentral. And as for myself, you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Barkon. Cool. Uh, I recommend following him. He posts some really fun stuff. Well, thank you. So... uh... (laughs) Thank you very much. I, I can vouch for that. it. And thank you both for, for having no, me No, thank out. you I for really, being our first guest. Really yeah, thanks for coming on. on. Yeah, it's, it's my this pleasure. Is, this, is a, this was a really fun episode. I, was, I personally was very nervous about having a third person on here. <laughs> just because we, we've had the opportunity before for a look behind the curtain for people. We've had the opportunity to have some of our interviewees on here like as a full episode guest. But it just... We were nervous about it. It never really felt yeah. like... Uh, right. So, what, John? You, you, you. So asked, I was the, I was the experiment. Well, the, you seemed you know, excited. The test to see if you it were, would work. You, you pushed me a couple times. You're like, hey, hey, let me on, let me on. I'm like, all right, yeah, you're gonna be the first guest because you were excited about it, and I feel like the, the best <laughs> yeah, person to have I mean, on is someone I, I, who wants as, to be. As, as you mentioned at the beginning of this of this episode, you know, we've known each other for for a while <laughs> now, and I'm, you know, I've just been really excited to see your growth and your advancement in this world so you know having the opportunity to join on and be in some small way a part of that was just an opportunity that i was you know really really open to doing and um and i'm just really excited to see where you go from here i really appreciate that a lot and you are welcome on whenever you want to come on for real (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, that's it officially. Uh, starting from episode third post is John. It's now a three-person podcast. <laughs> Next week is closed. We have a, another guest. We, we're kicking it off. Son of a bitch! <laughs> I need to confirm with them now that I think about it. So I'm not going to announce who it is until I'm positive that it's happening. So yeah, <laughs> okay. That's a very yeah. smart move, <laughs> George. You want to bring us home? Uh, Yeah, as always, come back next week for more horror news and reviews, and you never know who might be listening.